Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If you want to impress your passionate product people friends, why not share a link to this episode on your favorite social media app and they too can benefit from some of my fantastic conversations with product thought leaders and practitioners. On tonight's episode, we talk about bringing customers to the heart of your product development process and making sure you build the things that matter most. We talk about some of the mistakes that founders and opinionated product leaders make, some of the ways you might avoid them, and how to build your company's product muscles. We also ask if Marty Kagan was really right when he wrote that article going against MBAs, and whether they bring anything useful to the table, or are a complete waste of time. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Hubert Palan. Hubert's pug, born and raised in what was then called Czechoslovakia, and started his computing career huddled around a PC with three other families. Having managed to elbow the kid next door away for long enough to develop the tech bug, Hubert looked longingly towards Silicon Valley and headed over to the world of big tech via an MBA at Berkeley. Hubert says he wants to perfect everything, so after starting out as a product manager and being unable to find a tool that did everything he wanted perfectly, did what everyone in Silicon Valley does in that situation, and started Product Board. He's now on a mission to help companies across the globe build truly excellent products. Hi, Hubert. How are you tonight? Hi. It's so great to be here. What a wonderful intro. Thank you. Right to put the effort in and edit out the bad stuff. All right. So first things first, you are the CEO and founder of Product Board. So in your own words, who are Product Board and what problem does it solve? Product Board is a product management platform. We help product teams and really entire organizations get the right products to market faster. Really, you should think of it as an analogy to CRM system, but specifically designed for the needs of product teams, product organizations, everything product related. And that's what we do. We work with companies large and small, over 4,500 companies as customers. And some of the best product teams out there use us to get the right products to market faster. It's awesome. And some average ones, no doubt as well, but I'm sure you're doing your best to make them better. <laughs> but that's interesting about the kind of CRM focus as well. I mean, obviously there are CRMs out there and that's that's what they do. And there's a lot of more road mapping and planning solutions out there. I mean, do you consider yourself in competition with those or do you think that your value proposition is completely distinct from that? Yeah, it is. You know, the the let, let's talk a little bit about this this space, right? Because if you think about what product management role is about, it fundamentally is about two things. And that's who are the customers and understand them really well. Who are they demographically, behaviorally? What is it that they need? What pain points they have? You know, what problems they're trying to solve? And so that's fundamentally big part of product manager's job, this understanding. And then the second one is, okay, now that you understand the customers, what products, what features, what functionality, are you going to build, offer, bring to the market so that you satisfy the, the most important needs of these customers? And then also think about what tools you have at your disposal as a product manager. So you have project management tools, you have some engineering task management tools like Jira and so on. <laughs> <laughs> you have some tools to build stuff. But you know what? None of these systems, none of these tools have any data about customers and their needs. And that to me is crazy. Like if you know, your job is to turn customer insights and the understanding into products and services. And you have only tools that help you with building stuff, but you have no idea who are you building it for? Are you building the right things? Is this the most important things? 
And so that's why I use the analogy of the CRM systems because you have you have a lot of this information. It exists in the CRM systems. It's just not available and accessible to the product teams in a way that makes it actionable to any product decision making. It's just bizarre. And so that was that was the the realization and kind of the nucleus, the you know the kernel of let's start a company and solve this. Right, but that's interesting again because. What you're describing there, kind of pulling data in, I guess, from different sources and bringing everything together into one hub so that you can make decisions. Is that all then about integrations and having the way to easily pull those data points in from other systems? Or do you actually have basically ways to collect that data directly yourself and bypassing the need for, say, a CRM to capture certain data or perhaps analytics to capture certain data? Yeah. It it's a mix, you know. A lot of this, a lot of the information exists in the CRM system. You always need to think about what is the core system of record, right? Like where the information originates. And so you have a lot of this information in the CRM systems, or you have it in support systems, right? You have the conversations that are happening. You have them in customer success, whatever customer success teams are using. You have them in the notes from sales team. But then you have the primary research that the product team is doing. Primary research, going and interviewing customers, user researchers doing interviews, all of that. You, as a product maker, product manager, or researcher, you typically do surveys and you try to learn more about uh, the, the customers directly at scale. And so all these are sources of the data. And then when you need to figure it out, okay, it's find patterns, organize it, look, look for longer-term trends, that's when you need a tool to, you know, you need, first need to centralize it. But then you need a system to kind of make sense of it. And then when you go and you decide, okay, what is it I'm going to prioritize? What is it I'm going to focus on? So at that point, product board becomes the source of record, the system of record. Because right. you know the ideas don't live typically in the engineering task management systems. This is before you decide what is it that you should build. In fact, before you decide what is it that you should do discovery about. Because mm-hmm. it's just like the world of everything that you could build is so broad. So like, let's narrow it down and decide strategically what the focus is. And you know, and for that, you need a system. So product board for that is the core system. For some of the inputs, it's, a, it's, a, it's just like an aggregator. And then you push it down the stream, downstream. You push it to the engineering tools, Jira, so you integrate with GitHub, like whatever it is for seamless handover. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit complex, but you know, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, it sounds like you've bitten off quite a lot there, but I'm sure you're uh, chewing it as best as you can. <laughs> but you're a product guy. You were working at the coalface for a few years before you started this up. And you've touched on some of the reasons why you think product board is a good idea and why having a solution like this is something that will solve a lot of problems for product teams. But what was the point, like the inflection point, where you sat there and said, I'm fed up with whatever it was you were using at the time. <laughs> it is time for me to go and build a tool that did that. And was that also something that you did as a side hustle or did you just sort of quit your job and just go straight all in? Yeah, yeah, yeah good question. I'll talk about the inflection point, but you know, you can trace the, the beginnings of this whole idea and the business and the, the startup to earlier points. And you know, I saw early in my career, I was in consulting at Accenture and I saw how the large, large banks operated and how slow and inefficient it was and that drove me crazy. Then at, at Berkeley when I when I was in my MBA. Steve Blank was my lecturer. He taught the you know, Lean Startup. Uh, it was before it was called even Lean Startup. This is 2007, 2008. And that kind of gave me the bug, as you mentioned, like, hey, customers, get out, talk to them, make sure that you understand the needs in the first place. 
Yeah. And then later on, when I, you know, tried on successfully start companies and then ended up at a, at a, at a startup and I was constantly bombarded by requests from sales and the CEO would show up with like, <laughs> Hey, I just saw a competitor doing this. Why are we not doing it? And I talked to a board member and you know, why, why are we not building that? We should be building that. And it was just, it was so difficult for me in the role of a, I started as a, as a junior product manager and then grew all the way to BVP product. And it was just so difficult to have the conversation with any kind of like justification that would be like, it's not like statistically significant, right? You're dealing with qualitative insights, but that would support the argumentation that would allow others to understand, hey, this is a great idea for a feature and maybe it solves a real problem, but it's a problem of a segment that we are not focused on right now and we shouldn't build that. Yeah. And so that was that was kind of like a constant day to day that I'm sure that many people who are listening are going through every day, right? Like, oh, we should build this. It's like <laughs> awesome, but who is it for? What problems it solves? And is that the focus for this quarter, this half year, whatever this year? Like, is it? If it isn't, great. Note it, put it down, be aware, and then we'll get to it later. Or if you see that it's a pattern, like you know, maybe reprioritize and change it. Yeah. But anyway, and then, and then, yeah, and then I started moonlighting. <laughs> I started doing it on the side and I was hacking my sleep and I was doing this 20 minute nap and no sleep and, you know, slept on like four hours a day while I was doing two jobs. You were living the Silicon Valley dream then, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awesome dream. Yeah, I was single, you know, living in San Francisco in a, such a small apartment, like a studio apartment. And I was just working. That's all I was doing. But uh, those are the early days, yeah. <laughs> then I quit and, you know, the rest is history. But I noticed that Product Board at one point was named the most valuable startup in the Czech Republic by Forbes magazine. Now, obviously, <laughs> you're from the Czech Republic originally, but you're not there now and you weren't there when you started it. So what's that all about? Do you still have lots of strong links to the Czech Republic? or uh, I mean, obviously, family, yeah. But like, do you have strong business links to the Czech Republic still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I moved to the US 14 years ago. So, you know, people joke that I'm very Americanized. My wife is from Seattle. And, <laughs> you know, we got two kids here and this is my home, the Bay Area. But my co-founder is Czech and we have a big office there. We started a company from the early days. I and mean, yeah, we started here, like a headquarters. But then we quickly opened an office in Prague and, and that's where we scaled a lot of the product design engineering parts of the org. We have engineering product development in the US now as well, but initially it started in Prague and go to market was in the US. But now we have office, we have Vancouver office, we just opened Dublin office, so you know it's scaling globally. And you know, to your point, Forbes also, the American Forbes also named us like number two, uh, number 22 startup in America to work for as the best places to work. Well, there you go. But, you know, in a startup world, what, what do you do? You need to, and this, I remember marketing professor from Berkeley giving me this advice, like you need to find a pond where you're the big fish and leverage that attention from that, right? And so, hey, I'm Czech, I'm proud, I'm helping, I'm mentoring, you know, other startups from the region. And it's great to, to have that, to support your brand. And yeah, so that's the story there. Yeah, I think it's actually really interesting. I've spoken to a few people that have maybe spent some time in Silicon Valley and then gone back home to wherever they came from and taken some of the learnings and some of the principles back. So I think there is an argument in certain circles that Silicon Valley is very of itself like that it's different to everywhere else but at the same time i think if you can take those principles back and try and spread them back home that sounds like a really valuable thing to do oh yeah and it's super international it's like you know look and more and more actually 
more of the startup founders are international. I don't have data for it, but just like judging based on dinners that I go to and where the CEOs are from, <laughs> it's, uh, it's changing. So you talked about it before. You started out going to Berkeley. That was your entry point to the US. Mm-hmm. And you went there to do your MBA. And obviously, as you say, you studied under Steve Blank. So one of the founders, effectively, of the lean startup movement. Yeah. Professor to Eric Ries himself, right? Yeah. So how was that, like studying under the master? I mean, that's got to be obviously right place, right time. But also at the same time, that's got to be a really amazing experience. And you're getting that kind of knowledge from the from the source, right? Yeah. It was awesome. It was, you know, Eric Ries, this, this is like before he wrote the book, he came to the class and talked about his experience and a lot of the, lot of the experiences that you can read in his book, Lean, Lean Startup. But these are the early days. And it's, you know how it is, like people that are leaders in the fields, they're so inspiring and they're so passionate. And, and Steve, you know, he's very process-oriented, right? Like he came up with that whole four steps to epiphany for the customer discovery and, you know, the customer uh, development process. And you are like, he's so focused on what he does. For example, he wears the same thing every day because he doesn't <laughs> have time to figure out what am I going to wear. He would have the same khaki pants and the same white shirts <laughs> and the same sneakers, you know. It's like, that's my uniform. That's what I do because, you know, it, I'm optimizing my time. Yeah, no decision required. Yeah. And he just forced us to be very practical. You know, the class is very practical. Like go and talk to the customers. You had to do the project where you interviewed I don't remember how many. I think that now he's forcing people to do like 100 interviews for the class project. Oh, this wow. is like the latest format. So it's pretty intense. But then obviously you moved out of Berkeley, you finished up and you went into the world of work. You went into product management. As you've said, you've sort of started out from the bottom and worked your way up and became a product leader before you then obviously became a founder. Yeah. Yeah. So did you feel that your MBA had given you all of the skills that you needed to do that or did you feel that you had a lot of learning to do after that to actually make that move into full-time product management yeah i'm wondering whether you're dancing around that that's martin kagan's opinion on the value yeah that comes, that's, that's next that's next <laughs> you know my background was in computer science i got masters in computer science in prague and then i went to management consulting and that's where i learned more about how businesses are run and mostly the larger less like slower businesses, you know, large financial institutions and so on. So I saw that. And then when I got to Berkeley, I I always I always wanted to have the theoretical backgrounds for or like understanding the foundations for all the other things that are around startups. And so in that way it was very valuable. The you know you get finance, you get law, you get just like entrepreneurship kind of like venture finance, you know, how how private equity works. So you get to understand all of that. And then, I mean, absolutely, you meet amazing people. You know, Steve Blank, there are many other professors, right? You meet the CEOs of Levi Strauss, and you can go to a trip and meet with Warren Buffett, you know, if you're, if you're into investing. And the people around you are just, are just great, interesting people. So it's super valuable. But let's talk about that Marty Kagan article then, because it's raised a few hackles, I think, in certain areas from people that have had MBAs and maybe have had good experience at MBAs, but obviously it's not just Marty Kagan that's saying that MBAs are no good. Like there's a lot of commentary in big tech around that, right? There's lots of people that are sitting there saying MBAs are from the old days and that they're not giving you the skills that you need and that they're not building the types of leaders that startups need. And it's a fairly common belief in certain circles. Now, I assume that you read Marty Kagan's article. I have, yeah. Do you think he was right at all or can you defend the MBA? 
<laughs> yeah, I did. I did read the article, and I I respect Marte for a lot of the work that he's done. Like he's combined a lot of best practices and knowledge into his. You know, the the two books obviously are very very known in the product management community. I also think that he got many things wrong, and I think this is one of them. And I think that he, you know, what's kind of ironic about this? This is basically like a market misunderstanding case study. Because what, what happens in the real life and where companies and product managers really fail is that you create a stereotype based on a smaller segment of the market, and then you project it to the overall market and you build something and then you're surprised that not everybody fits that stereotype <laughs> or persona, right? I don't get some profile. And so I think that there's the points that, you know, maybe some of the classes, like how you build a business case as part of the MBA and some of the just like how you think about projections and, you know, kind of like the, the, the predictability of the startup world. Obviously, that's outdated. But that is not how, that's not like how if you get an MBA, this is what you're going to get. There's like in every other field, there's schools that are teaching the best, latest and greatest. And there are schools that are slower to catch up. And this is not really a function of MBA. This is a function of the world. The world, like you can look at the, you know, whatever framework you want to say, the distribution, you know, the, the, the early majority, late majority, and all that, the Everett curve. And that's how it is, right? Like there's going to be the people who are laggard and they're teaching the old stuff, but there's programs where you have people like Steve Blank teaching. And it's like, I don't think that Marty would argue with me that taking a class from Steve Blank is a dumb move that, you know, you shouldn't do. <laughs> and then you have a class from, you know, another professor was Rosati from Wilson Sonsini Goodrich Rosati, one of the most iconic venture capital firms in the Valley. And that person's teaching you how to do venture finance. And it was invaluable to me to understand how the startup finance aspect investing works, right? I was so much informed, but like better informed because of that. And so I, 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 I think that it's the stereotyping is dangerous. And I think that you can learn great skills and you just need to make sure that you're taking the classes that are taught by the best people in the field and that are teaching the latest and greatest. So find a school like that. But I don't think it's like that MBA would be a you know, wrong approach or another thing that's ironic. If you hear Marty, like he loves to talk about how difficult product management role is because it's so multifaceted. I need to understand the design and engineering. I need to understand the go-to-market and pricing. And you need to understand you know, the legal aspects and regulatory compliance and you know, all of it, right? And guess what? The degree that covers best, most broadly, all of this <laughs> is MBA. If you really want to combine business and, and uh, the development part, products part, you know, it's like, I don't know. There, I don't think there's a better degree. So that would be my, my defense. Yeah, I think that's a strong defense. If I hadn't already spoken to Marty on this podcast, maybe I could get him on and, and have some kind of throwdown. But I think the... <laughs> argument that i have seen which i do kind of subscribe to is and it's not an mba thing it's just a general certification thing right i think i had this discussion with carlos from product school yeah i asked him like well you know is product school a replacement for an mba for example you know some of the certifications that they do mm -hmm. i think his point was that yeah sure mbas are a really valid starting point but you need to do other stuff to get good at the actual product management part as well and i think that i can get on board with you know no one wants to get some person who comes out you know the day after they get their mba and all of a sudden they're the 
head of product for a company and they're making all these bad decisions because they read the wrong bit of book or something like that. So of course yeah, that yeah. I can get on board with, but yeah, I, I've always totally. considered any learning to be good learning as long as you actually take it in the spirit, which it should be used rather than just reverting to bad practices because you read that somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. And humility and the, you know, understanding that doesn't matter what school you <laughs> You study that, like you still don't know everything about the world. Like that's a big part of it, right? So yeah, be humble. Absolutely. So one of the things that you say product board enables is to help make great products. I mean, that's on your <laughs> website and you kind of touched on it earlier as well. And of course, we've touched on this as well. And Steve Blank would obviously agree. You have to be user focused to achieve that. And you called out before this call that product teams often make mistakes when trying to do this. Now, obviously, product board will help with some of that. But what are some of those mistakes that people are making? Yeah, it really, you know, I'm going to repeat myself, but repetition is the, what is the saying? Repetition is the mother of wisdom. I don't know if I'm just translating a check. Yeah, it's check fine. We'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. But it comes down to your understanding of the problem and the customers. And the, the there, it's interesting because a lot of the startups start, or like they, they struggle initially because the understanding is not deep enough. and then. Even if they, if the founder stumbles upon, okay, this is an opportunity worth solving, and there's a big segment and a you know very burning pain point, then they struggle typically with getting everybody else on the on the same page and aligned around the shared understanding, so that people are really executing efficiently and kind of marching in a you know focused direction, uh, uh, executing the same thing. And so that's so first, like how do you find the initial product market fit? But then how do you get product managers and designers and as the organization grows, everybody share that understanding so that because they end up making a lot of the decisions. And if they don't have very good understanding of what are the needs, then it's very difficult to build the right stuff. And then another another issue that typically happens is if you become even a bigger company, is that you need to start thinking about the portfolio approach and how you're gonna augment the initial product market fit with yeah. Which adjacent use cases you're going to satisfy? Are you going to satisfy it as an extension of your existing product, or do you need to launch as you know like a separate product and you have it in a portfolio? And that's where, if you kind of never learned as an organization how to do the product management process and how to how to share information about customers and and their needs at scale, then you're going to struggle because you don't have that muscle built that allows you to say, okay, you team, you team, go and explore this, you know, because they don't know. They were just incrementally innovating on something and, and finding a whole new solution to a new problem is a whole different type of innovation. It's a different ballgame. So that's what, I, that's what I always go to, go back to. And that's why, again, Product Board get all the insights and put people in front of what is it that the people need in a most efficient, organized, centralized way it doesn't guarantee that you're going to build the right product. Right? It doesn't turn you into a Steve Jobs, but it increases the chances of making the right decisions. Right? If there's a constant customer insights flow into the people who are making the day-to-day decision on the front lines of the company or you know, the most junior product manager, the more exposed they are, the better informed they are, and the better decision they can make. But that's interesting because the situation you just described where maybe it's a bit further down the line and they've not built those muscles as you say and you're in a situation where you're kind of struggling as you've just described it's also kind of late by that point (laughs) because the company's developed probably a bunch of organizational muscles it's got its procedures and its processes in place 
And it can be really tough, especially if you have founders in that situation that maybe don't really know how to basically build products because that's not their background and stuff. Now, I'm assuming that even you wouldn't say that your software could solve that problem because that's a very deep systemic problem. But have you ever seen that problem solved effectively in any of the companies that you've worked with or people that you know that have worked in companies like that? I think that, uh, so I, I mean, how I'm interpreting your question is that there's a lot of situations where the founders basically stumble into that product market fit. They don't really know how. Yeah. And by the way, that's the fallacy of lean startup. Lean startup has nothing about strategy and how you think about phasing steps one by one. Lean startup is a lot of experimentation. And when I talk to Sarah Beckman, who is a new product development professor at Berkeley, you know, she would always argue with Steve. And she's like, Steve, you're telling people to throw spaghetti on the wall <laughs> and then see what sticks. That's what lean startup is. You know, of course you get to the design. I mean, you, you learn, right? Like you see what sticks. But you should have a more systematic, strategic approach at the beginning, where you really understand the needs and the meaning of, like you know, the the the, the real deep understanding of what is it that people need and what. And if you don't have that, then it's just like yeah, it's just like keep piling it up. So to your point, right? If you're in that situation, there, there's there's like techniques or the tips that we would go is to kind of help. Whether it's the founder or whether it's like a very opinion product leader, right? It can be just like a (laughs) dictatorial type, right? You know, here's what you need to build. Don't ask questions, no questions, ask me everything. But to show them the evidence, show them justification, show them that, hey, we talked to these people. It sounds like that maybe the, the, the feedback is different. And then go and introduce them to other people in the same kind of level, you know, whether it's another founder or whether it's another head of product. And kind of recruit these other people who had that moment of enlightenment when they realized, oh, I was so wrong and I was so committed and I was just so stubborn. <laughs> it's like in a, in a personal life, like you have friends and some friends like, go talk to him, go talk to him. He's so stubborn. Like he doesn't see what he's doing. <laughs> it's the same thing. And so you need to you need to kind of engineer it a little bit if it's worth it, right? If the founder is, if you feel like there's a potential. If they're super stubborn and dictatorial and you like you don't believe that no matter who talks to them are gonna change their mind, I would run. <laughs> I don't think it's worth it, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Talking about founders, you also said before this call that brilliant founders are overrated. <laughs> and we've all struggled in situations like you've just described, or situations where you have hippos playing the founder card. But also you're a founder. So are you not brilliant? <laughs> or are you overrated? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it goes back to what I described, right? Because the whole point is that the founder's insight is overrated because if it's just that one individual person, I mean, again, you might be right, right? Like if you spend whole life learning and working in a domain, like you have a very deep understanding of the domain. So that I'm not dismissing that. Your intuition is basically an a, you know, internalized experience and you can make decisions much faster because you've seen it and you have, that's how brain works, right? That's, how, that's what intuition is about. So I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying that it's overrated in the sense that if you never achieve, you know, sharing that insights and understand and helping others understand why, where is it coming from, then it's very difficult to scale. It's, you know, it's like to be the one single decision maker for everything and everybody needs to come to you and get approval for everything that you're building. That's, that just doesn't scale. 
And it's been a struggle at Product Board because like historically, I have obviously the most context from everybody at the company because I, you know Daniel and I, my co-founder, we've been doing it the longest, right? So I have things to contribute, but I had to put myself outside of it. I basically had to say, here's a process, here's some meetings where I can command, but if I miss it, I can't block it unless it's like a gigantic, like a threat, right? Like a massive, like a risk, right? Like, so obviously the changes, but most of the times it's like, Hey, you, you delegate. And yeah, if you want to, if you want to provide comment, you provide comment, but then you need to let go. And so that's the, that's the overrated thing that it's a team sport and the teams, the best products are built together with many other people. And you need to create an environment of empowerment and shared understanding. And then great things happen. But you started this company. So how does that feel to step away and empower these people? Because you must always get that itch, right? <laughs> There's yeah. always got to be an itch somewhere where you, you think that I've still got this. I've still got the magic in these fingers. Oh, how do you step away from that? Yeah, it's hard. I, I <laughs> The number of times when I think, oh, if I could just like, you know, <laughs> take take uh, some of our uh, most senior designers and engineers and lock ourselves in two weeks in a room like we would create the best next thing. You know, like I, but like I, I never have the time to do that because I spend ninety percent of my time hiring, honestly, and building the team and uh, hiring executives. And then, I mean, I talk to customers obviously on the on uh, on calls, and you know, I represent the company. But just, I mean, right now, last week is probably ninety percent hiring. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> I hope that I will be able to find some time going forward as the company grows and as we have like more, I know it's going to sound terrible, but like more layers of management, it actually, insu- <laughs> it actually insulates me. Because right now we're 260 people in the company. That's still a size where a lot of things are, I still get exposed to, especially like on the people side. And, you know, it's a complex organism, a company of that size, right? And you just, you can't. You need to delegate. You need to shield your away or so. I was at a dinner with uh, Patrick Collison last week from Stripe. And I was asking him, hey, so how good of a pulse do you have on how the company feels? And he's like, it's very difficult. It's 4,000 people. It's like, you know, you are so disconnected at that scale already. Yeah. And that's why you need processes and surveys and you need all the people to help and so on. But it's like as an individual, it's just, it's so different. Yeah, but it's tricky because a certain type of person is always trying to get their finger back on that pulse, right? Or they feel that they're failing somehow or that they have to be involved and that they have to put their face around. And it just feels, as you say, that's just something that's never going to scale. Yeah. And something that you probably need the rest of the executive team to just like drag them back and, you know, just protect everyone else. I mean, it's kind of vanity in a sense, right? (laughs) Because actually, once you get to a certain scale, the company is bigger than a CEO, right? And I think that point is, is a difficult point for some people to grasp. I don't, I, no, I, I hear you on that. And I, I think that it depends on what your motivation is because it can be vanity, but it's, you know, I always thought of product board as the analogy is like, I have two kids, right? And this is like the third kid <laughs> because like you re, and, and your, in, your incentives are very much aligned. Like you want the company to do the best. And so you're just constantly, you want to contribute and you want to provide the advice. But then obviously at some point it's kind of, Hey dad, I, I know how to do things like, you know, thanks. And my kids are not there yet, right? My kids are five and a half and 15 months. Yeah. And Parag board is not there yet either, but it's going to get to the point. And yeah, you need to find the balance and you need to find the things where you're the most impactful and valuable to the company. And, and frankly, it's mostly about people than 
it's much more about relationships and advocating for the culture and values. And that's what matters the most. Yeah, well, my kid dropped a Rubik's Cube down the toilet earlier, so I'm not sure what business lesson that teaches us, but it's <laughs> probably somewhat aligned. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but it's interesting because, again, you're the CEO of a company that's fast scaling. Yeah. Over 200 people, as you say now, pretty international. You know, you've got your office in Prague, Vancouver. You've got, obviously, Silicon Valley as well. Big part of the job of a CEO of a growing company and the rest of the team, but specifically the CEO, is to make sure that you're building a diverse and inclusive company as well. And it's not uncommon to hear tales in Silicon Valley and in tech in general of that not being the case, either ethnic balances off or gender balances off and so forth. Yep. How have you managed to drive that yourself within the company as you've scaled? Yeah, it's it's a great question and it's a difficult one because you know, to me, diversity, you have you you you've got a lot of posts and a lot of kind of thought leadership done about how di- how diverse team uh, outperform the less diverse ones in terms of productivity and in terms of like you know different opinions and so on. And it's great, that's that's absolutely true. But to me personally, it's more a responsibility of a company that's at the forefront of society yeah. to kind of drive societal change, you know, rather than just justified by the business reasons. And, yeah. and it's hard because the, if you're trying to help or, you know, increase the focus or, or push forward a community that's in the minority, well, by definition, it's a minority. So that means that there's less people of the type. And so if you're actively focused on building diverse team, that means by definition that it's going to take longer because there's fewer people that you want to bring into that world, right? Because they're not there yet because otherwise we wouldn't have this issue. So it's basically like an investment. It, it really is taking longer to hire and you need to make sure that you're okay with it. So that's, it's a conscious thing. And then you need to have processes. And then of course, the problem is that it's not just you or the leadership team. Like at a company of our stage, like almost everybody's interviewing at some point. And like, how do you kind of do it at scale? So we're investing into trainings and we're trying to understand, to, to help people understand the biases. The cultural diversity is an interesting one because the, it's, it's actually creates a lot of friction. I, w- I would almost say that like the pressures that you have at the company, the people from different countries, from different backgrounds, and regardless of race or ethnicity or gender, that's where a lot of the friction comes from how the Americans think about things versus how the Czechs or Poles or Lithuanians or Brits, you know, thinks about things and how they perceive the communication. That is, it's kind of like you're saying a message, but how do you localize it if you have, we have 28 or 30 nationalities. So that's the hard part. Like, how do you say it in a way that's relevant to everybody? I know it's, sorry, it's a long answer and like all over the place, but it's a complex topic. No, it absolutely is. No, I completely understand. And I think as long as people are making concrete steps in the right direction. Again, it would be brilliant to be there tomorrow, but as long as we're getting there at some velocity, then that still feels better than moving backwards or staying the same. So can at least commend you for making those steps. Yeah. But what is next in 2021 for Product Board? Have you got anything big on the horizon that we should be watching out for? Or are you kind of tightening the bolts and iterating your way to success? (laughs) Uh, I mean, we've got we've got some great product enhancements, and we're opening the platform even more and more integrations. There's gonna be, there's gonna just you know the product itself is gonna become a better product management platform, right? So not everybody knows here, so I don't want to bore people with the detailed features. You can go check it out. <laughs> but we have in the fall, we're gonna have a big uh, summit, product excellence summit. We had one last October, so we're gonna do that again. 
and that's going to be an opportunity to to meet fellow products loving folks we're also opening our community actually our community of product makers we used to have just community for our internal customers because you know we have thousands of customers so that was critical mass but we're opening up the community to like just everybody right everybody who's passionate about products not just management but overall product making designers engineers user researchers anybody who's who's passionate about creating something exceptional and and solving people's problems and putting a lot of pride and effort into creating things you should check it out absolutely we're launching it june 30th so i'd love to do more partner more you know bring people more i i still feel like there's an opportunity i know that there's communities right product school mind the product but i still think that there's an opportunity to contribute more to the product community yeah there's always a different angle we can always log into a different slack channel as well i mean i'm <laughs> I'm a member of eight different Slack spaces at the moment or whatever they're called. So another one's not going to hurt, right? <laughs> We're actually switching from Slack to, uh, is it, uh, what is it called? Inside it, the platform. It's a community platform and it's awesome because you can moderate it. You can have different groups, topics. You don't have limited history, right? Because Slack, you have the limited history and yeah, the model, pricing model doesn't work there. So fair enough. I'll keep my eyes open. And what's one piece of advice you would give to an aspiring product manager getting started in the industry today with or without an MBA? <laughs> yeah, I don't think like the education is not the first one. I think get a mentor, get somebody who's a really good product manager. Because I feel like if you, if you force me to choose one, having somebody like that has such a strong amplification effect or multiplying effect. Because the person can point you to the right sources, can introduce you to the right people. You can learn, even if it's just you know, talk to them for 30 minutes every month or whatever, even quarter, you know, like the ability of people to put you on the right trajectory is incredible. And you'd be surprised how easy it is to reach some of the, some of the people. And, you know, you need to have a compelling, it's not like, hey, are you going to be my mentor? Like, you need to know why, <laughs> right? You need to have conviction. You need to be passionate about it. But people sense that. If you're really passionate about something and if you're genuinely trying to get best and like better and better and uh, you know best at the field people sense that and they're willing to help. So, I mean there's obviously many other practical tips and advice, but this curiosity, empathy, practice empathy. If you're more of a techie, learn about people. Learn about psychology, consumer psychology, what motivates people, how they make decisions, like all of that. It's super critical. Product manager is all about understanding people, customers, their needs. And I'm sure there's one piece of advice in there somewhere about using product board as well, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter what you use. Eventually, you'll come around and you'll end up being our customer. <laughs> it doesn't have to be now, but you know, one day. There can be only one. We'll be happy to welcome you. Yeah. <laughs> and where can people catch up with you after this if they want to speak about product or MBAs or product board or anything <laughs> else that they've heard on this call today? Yeah, productboard.com. H H Palan is my Twitter handle. You can find me there. Or connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, that's that's easy. I'm happy to I'm happy to stay in touch. I will add that to the show notes and hopefully you'll get a screaming fan base running towards you. Well, that's been a really interesting chat and obviously really good to hear some of your story and how you got into products and obviously your MBA opinions and some of the stories of Steve Blank and hopefully we can stay in touch but yeah as for now thanks for taking the time thanks for having me jason thank you everybody for listening as ever thanks for listening i hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful 
If you did, I've got other conversations covering all aspects of product management over on the website, so why not check out onenightinproduct.com, have a look around, and I'm sure you'll find something that takes your fancy. And don't forget to sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night.